section, Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. I am hoping that you guys are having a wonderful summer. Um, I'm recording this ahead of time. So it is summer. My kids just finished school, but I'm hoping to get a little bit ahead on the podcast because we are going away for a missions trip. Um, actually, when you hear this, we will be already home, but I we are coming home from Kenya and then family is coming in quite soon after that. So I'm trying to get a little bit ahead on the podcast, which I normally have kind of the best intentions for recording episodes ahead of time and it never works. But now that it's like a necessity, um, I've been able to do it. So it's interesting how that works out. I don't know if there are any more procrastinators out there among you, but that kind of seems to be my MO. So anyway, today I am sharing this great conversation I had with Susie Finkbeiner. I really enjoyed her book and enjoyed talking with her, and I hope that you guys enjoy it too. Susie's latest book, which is releasing July 6th, um, it's called The Nature of Small Birds, and it's set around a more recent event in history, which a lot of our books that we talk about um, deal with like World War II and before, but this one the earliest setting is in 1975 during Operation Baby Lift, which happened at the end of the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. So um, Susie gets into that in our conversation, so I won't go into too much detail um, because it's such a fascinating conversation, and I hope that you guys really enjoy it. Um, so without any more babbling from me, we will get to the interview with Susie Finkbeiner. Susie, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you for having me. What an honor. Thanks. Your latest novel, The Nature of Small Birds, will release July 6th. Can you tell me about this book? Sure, I'd love to. It's set in 1975, and that is the year that the United States uh, ended their involvement in the Vietnam War. And 3,000 Vietnamese children were airlifted from Saigon and the surrounding cities to the United States, Australia, and Canada to be adopted. And this is the story of one of those adoptive families. Yeah, um, I have to tell you that lately I haven't been able to finish many of the books for the podcast, but I started reading yours and I had to finish it. So um, <laughs> it's just, it just pulled my heartstrings. And um, I, I only finished it this morning, but I loved it. So what... Yeah. What inspired you to write this novel? You know, my dad was in Vietnam um, in the 70s, early 70s. And so when I was a kid, I heard about Vietnam a lot. And mm. I, you know, growing up in the 80s, there were all these National Geographics that my grandparents and my parents had. And I remember looking through one day when I was a kid and finding what is famously called the Napalm Girl. And it's it's a little girl from Vietnam who is running down the street after being burned by napalm. Mm -hmm. And yes. I distinctly remember, I don't even remember how old I was, but I was too young to really read. But I remember mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I hear about the war, but what happened to the kids? Mm -hmm. And that always haunted me. And 
I've always been intrigued by the Vietnam War because it was my dad's war. And yeah. um, in researching for my book, All Manner of Things, I stumbled upon this article about what's called Operation Babylift, which was the um, airlifting of the children from Vietnam to the West. And I, I thought, well, maybe that's an idea for later, but I don't know if I'm ever going to write that book because it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I knew it would cost a lot emotionally to write. And then I suggested it along with a few other story ideas to my editor hoping she wouldn't pick that one. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. She did. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you did a good job with it. Thank Um, you. I can understand why it was daunting though. Yeah. 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 And I, I am really grateful that she did pick that one. I think it was, it was the best story of the bunch and it, it stretched me a lot. Mm, I'm sure. Um, So you have three different point of view characters in three different time periods in this book. (laughs) So when we we start with Bruce, who's the dad, and um, in 2013, he's watching his mother decline and his daughter deciding to look for her birth family. And then in 1975, we have Linda, his wife, the mom, and it's about like adopting Mindy. Um. And making her part of their family. Mm-hmm. And then in 1988, we get to look into Mindy's sister's head as she navigates the last few months of life at home before she heads off to college. I really enjoyed that because like, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was born in 1976. So <laughs> it was like yeah. living my childhood again, or my teenage years. Um, although I wasn't 18 in 1988. But you know, yeah, I were um, about the same age. So, okay. so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. Um, I mean, I enjoyed every view. And I just, uh, I mean, what a good job you did getting inside every, the different characters' heads. And how did you decide which characters would be the point of view characters in which year? Oh, you know what? That, that is kind of crazy. So last January was, I was halfway through writing the first draft of the book and it was all from Linda's perspective. And I thought, I don't, I'm I'm missing so much because mm. the story of adoption is not it can't be told in one year. It has to I mean it's a lifelong story and I wanted to represent that. And um so yeah. I decided well Bruce of course because his perspective as an aging man is it was so important to me for his story about watching your your children fledge and take off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Sunny, actually, that was um, definitely the most fun part to write. <laughs> right, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I, I, I didn't feel that as a, a white woman that I, I was afraid that if I tried to write from the perspective of Min or Mindy, who is Vietnamese, that I would be dishonoring. Um, Mm. I wanted to, but I wanted all of the narratives to point to her. Right. And that was the goal. And so that was my audacious. I'm, I'm going to rewrite this whole novel with three different points of view. And then started that in January and February, it was going fine. And then March, I got a phone call saying, your kids will never ever go back to school <laughs> because of COVID. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I got that phone call too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a terrifying phone call. And, and so writing this book um, with my kids home with the most complex storyline I've ever attempted, it was, mm-hmm. it was something, but you know, my kids are so amazing and, and everything worked out fine. It was just one of those things that was like, I, I don't know what I, I'm doing. I really don't. Right. I understand. Yeah. How many kids do you have? I have three. Okay. So do I. And I had the same thing. They came home and I was like, what, is, what has even happened to my life? <laughs> I like I love them, but I had time to write before and now oh, I yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I really respect teachers. So I always mm. did, but now even more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the three different characters, I thought it was very interesting. And I figured that that might be why you didn't do it from Mindy's perspective. Cause the book, it's like, it's about Mindy, but we're seeing it from everybody else, not everybody else's, but three other people in her family, their points of view. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. but I think it's still, it, it's easy to see her feelings as they perceive them anyway. So it really it worked well. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, so I also, I think the reason this book struck me so much is partly because like I was not adopted, but I have adopted siblings and a sister-in-law who was adopted. And so even though I felt like I was familiar with adoption and the issues that my siblings deal with, um, this book actually helped me to see some things I might've missed before. So how did you capture the feelings involved. Do you have personal experience with adoption? You know, I I am not adopted. My kids are not adopted. Um, but I've had a lot of friends who have been um, mm-hmm. adopted um, from different countries or transracially. And just listening and learning from their experience through our whole lives, really, you know, I have a cousin who is adopted transracially and just... Um, yeah watching as we grew up together and some of the things that were said to her or Mm -hmm. that she experienced or felt or confided in me. And then I have friends who have adopted from all over the world and, and their experiences just, I'm, I'm a youngest child. And so Mm. one of the things that I do is I watch everybody (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. spy. And so that's, I think that helps me in my novel writing process. But I think that that um, just watching my friends, my family, my, you know, what they went through, it just really was telling. And then a lot of research about the actual Operation Baby Lift and the people right. who are now adults and now a little bit older than we are and right. navigating their lives now. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what was your research process like? How did you go about? Because I know this was a very specific, even though it could apply to a lot of adoption situations, it also was a very specific situation, the baby lift. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of, um, fortunately, when you write something that occurs in 1975, the resources <laughs> are super easy to get a hold of. <laughs> right. Um I wasn't able to do a whole lot of research in a library per se, um, but 
I had the gift of the internet and YouTube and documentaries and a lot of books that I was able to order just with personal narratives from the family members or from the um, kids who were adopted, from the nurses who flew on the airplanes with the children. And so there was no lack of resources. In fact, there was too much. I had to remind myself that you're telling one person's story. You can't tell everyone's story. That's impossible. Yeah. So how did the the bones of Mindy's story take shape for you? Is it based on one real person or is it just what came together for you? You know, everything? You're, it was it was what came together. Um, I didn't want to base it on just one person just so that it wouldn't seem like a caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want it to be completely and utterly specific to one person's story so that if someone read it, they would think, Gosh, is this me? You know, right. um, but I, I kind of took a little bit of this and a little bit of that from the stories from the the kids adopted from the baby lift, and then um, kind of blended it with stories of of other adoptions throughout generations and decades. Mm-hmm. And Mindy okay. was really, really she. She was one of those characters, and I, I don't know if if people who are not writers might not get this, but she came to me like fully formed as a human. Like she, yeah, she was so easy to write, such a pleasure to write, and a joy to write because mm-hmm. she just was one of those characters that I wish she was my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I love it when that happens, though, and you just you just know the character. It feels like magic, right doesn't there. it? Yes, it does. Then, what is your what is your writing process like, or how did you? I know that you wrote this over the course of the when the pandemic started, and um, can you tell me a little bit about what your writing process looks like, even like before that hit and after? And- <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it is, I, I feel that my, my writing process is constantly evolving and constantly mm-hmm. growing and stretching. And it, it really does change with every novel, but there are certain things that are consistent. You know, I, I, I write whether I feel like it or not, um, when my kids are at school or when the deadline is approaching and, right. um, I, I do a lot of research beforehand, make a lot of notes. I write down a list of things that must happen in the novel. And so then mm. I can I can make sure that I hit certain points. I'm not I'm not an outliner necessarily, mm-hmm. but I print out calendars from the yes. time. And then I write down like any major news events, any mm. you know music that comes out around that time, just so that I can listen to it and really, I'm a method writer. So I need to listen to the music, read the Mm -hmm. books that they read, read the articles they read. And, and then I write down what happens plot wise in the little squares. So I, it's really messy. It's a messy process. (laughs) It's not pretty, (laughs) but, um, but that just gives me kind of a roadmap and And then I just write hard and fast on that first draft if I can. 
Mm -hmm. And editing is my sweet spot. And I know it. That is where my true creativity comes into play and where where theme really develops and characterization gets beefier. And Mm -hmm. so I, I love to spend most of my time there if I'm able to. And I am thankful for editors who were very filled with grace with that last one and um, (laughs) very helpful and encouraging. And they make me look so much smarter than I actually am. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You're, you're sounding pretty smart here and you don't have an editor editor. So I will, I will edit this before it goes (laughs) releases. So, Um, so what, what do you want readers to take away from this novel? You know, with every book of mine, I want them to come away with a, a, a heightened sense of empathy for other mm-hmm. people and to maybe say, I didn't, I didn't think of that or I didn't know it was like that for other people. But then maybe also to say, I don't feel alone. I feel known, you know, maybe their experience isn't the same mm-hmm. as somebody else's in the book, but they can they can find some common ground with one of the characters. Right. But most of all, just, I I want people to read it and feel a sense of hope that mm-hmm. even, even when things in life get difficult, when maybe people don't treat us the way that we deserve to be treated, there are those people in our lives who love us and treasure us and cherish us and 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 you know on the other side of that when when we have close relationships with people like Bruce with his kids and watching them go on with their lives and grow up mm-hmm. we're not left alone they they have the lord who watches them and protects them and i i think that that was something that i had to remember last year through all of the stress of the unknowns of you know are we going to get sick? If we get sick, what's going to happen? Um, right. My kids are growing up so fast right in front mm-hmm. of my eyes, you know, but it is not up to me to do everything for them. And it took a lot of weight off of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that as parents or aunts and uncles or just somebody that loves someone else, it's important to remember it doesn't all rely on me. Right. That's so true. And that's something I feel like Bruce realized that in the book and and so did Sonny. Yeah. So Susie, have you always loved to write? How did you get started doing this? (laughs) Well, we, I grew up in a very bookish family. We, Hmm. we read a lot. Uh, There were books everywhere. My parents are both readers and the library was a frequent trip for us. Mm-hmm. School library, public library, whatever, and and my dad is a storyteller. He's also a, a novelist and memoirist, and he's he's a talented fella. And so it mm-hmm. was just normal for me to write and yeah. a way for me to process my life and to figure things out. And I've always loved it. My mom would tell you that I told a lot of stories when I was a kid, and maybe she would say lies, but um, 
storytelling is just the way that I approach the world and it's the way my brain works. And so I'm glad that I was able to do this for my career. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, What are you working on now? Can you tell us about that? I sure can. It's coming out next year and it is set in 1952. Mm -hmm. And the main character's name is Bertha. And I love her. She's a, she's a plucky, spunky lady. Um, and she, she actually ends up playing on the all American girls professional baseball league. And, um, so there's baseball, there's a little bit of the second wave of the red scare for communism Mm. and a little Shakespeare thrown in for good measure. Oh, sounds fascinating. So, um, Do you always write, I haven't checked out all your books yet, but do you always write about 20th century history? You know, I actually, I have, I have two contemporary titles that were my first two, but then, um, I, I'm a Dust Bowl Steinbeck super nerd. Mm. And so I wrote a depression era series called the Pearl Spence series, and it is, it starts off in Dust Bowl, Oklahoma. It's my only non-Michigan book. And um mm. and so I I loved writing that character, Pearl. She was she was just very dear to me. And then yeah, I the other two books are they're all 20th century. There's just something about the 20th century. So much happened. So much is packed into that century, so much advancement and yes drama and it is easy to access the research which is always a plus right totally yeah and i i think that that century there was a lot of question of what makes us american and for some mm-hmm. reason that really that's a question that i i always think about and so you know because i think our country is so vast and complex and so it's, yes. it's intriguing to me. Our history is intriguing. Additionally, I really enjoy researching time periods when my grandparents and my parents were young, just mm-hmm. because it makes me feel a connection to what they what they experienced before I was ever born. And um, that is so interesting to me. Right. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Ah, that is such a great question. You know, I I think it was was it Twain who said that history doesn't repeat, it echoes. Mm, I'll yeah, have to look that up. Yeah. Um, it sounds like him at least, but um <laughs> I I believe that. I think that that history you know, we keep on seeing the reflection of it in our times. And and if we're able to look back and see how our ancestors did things maybe well or how they did things poorly, we can learn a whole lot about living in our time and how to maybe improve the world around us because we see what worked and what didn't work in the past. And it it just I think it's it's a it's a youngest child way of doing things I think of just observing <laughs> and repeating or copying or avoiding what other people right. did, um, but but also 
it gives us such insight into to what it means to have hope. Because if you look at difficult times that our grandparents, our great-grandparents lived through and just see what they were able to um, live to see when they were older with their grandchildren or or with new technology, there's there's so much hope. There's so much hope. And sometimes we have to look backward in order to realize how important it is to grasp onto that hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So Susie, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? You know, I am super active on Instagram. That is where I post a lot of bookish news, things I've been reading, pictures of my cat, um, <laughs> you know, goofy <laughs> selfies. But that's yeah. a that's a great way to keep up with, with book releases and um, get book recommendations. They can also find me on Her Novel Collective, which... Mm. is uh, a resource with a bunch of different authors all kind of chiming in on different bookish things. And they can find me on Facebook, my, my author page, author Susie Thinkbiner. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such fun for me, such a nice break in my day to have a chat with you. Oh, good. So my friends, I hope you enjoyed listening to Susie and me talk about her new book. Um, as always, go to the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. I mean, if you're lucky, the show notes will be available within your pod catcher, um, whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. But if you go to the show notes, you can get the links to Susie's book and her um, author website and Instagram and all that fun stuff, as well as a link to the Facebook group for our podcast. It's called Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. And then also, if you are willing and able to support the show in a more concrete way, then you can join the community on Patreon. And we have several levels of support there. Go to my page at patreon.com slash Treat. That's make sure you use one L because with my website, I have, um, you can use two L's and it'll still get you there. But with Patreon, it's just patreon.com slash Treat. So it's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. But of course, you can get the link to that on the show notes as well. As always, if you are enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, please subscribe so that you will get a new episode every week. Also, write a review and uh, give it a star rating because that helps other people find the podcast. And I know that lovers of historical fiction will love this podcast because you do. Um, I did a little digging into the quotes that Susie mentioned, or the quote that Susie mentioned. And actually, I think it's kind of a combination of two quotes because... um, the quote that people attribute to Mark Twain is, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Um, we don't really know for sure that Twain said that, but I think this is true of a lot of quotes. So I am not, don't take the quotes that I use on my podcast at the end as set in stone that this is definitely from this person. I mean, I, I do my best, but um, it would take a lot of research to really figure that out sometimes. Um, so this 
quote is supposed to be from Mark Twain, but it I guess there's not a lot of evidence that he actually said it. There is another quote that I have mentioned on another one of our podcasts, and I, I don't remember which one, but I know I've mentioned it before, and it's Tariq Ali who said, history rarely repeats itself, but its echoes never go away. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week. 